Welcome to Pentecostal Sermons brought to you by Power of the Cross Radio. We are honored that you could join us. You are about to hear a sermon from Brother Larson of Sun Life Broadcasting Ministry. These recordings are from a three-day revival held at the Lighthouse Church in Grenada, Mississippi in 2021. We know you are going to be blessed. Now, on to the message. What I'm doing today in the Law of Christ is introducing you to it. Um, And primarily, then, we're founded on the law of faith, the law of the right object of faith, Christ and Him crucified, justification. Sanctification, then, is the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, Romans 8 and 2. And then the two passages that we're going to talk about and, and deal with in regard to the law of Christ, Galatians 6 and 2, which definitely and definitively attaches the law of Christ to the love of God. It's, it's just the love for neighbor, love for brother. So the law of Christ, you can't ignore that. And uh, there are several books out there written called The Law of Christ, and most of them surface on that. And uh, when we, the reason that I brought you to this second passage is that in the Greek it becomes very obvious, not so obvious at times in different word-for-word English translations, but in the Greek it is, and we'll deal with that. But a second verse, often connected to Galatians 6 and 2 by scholars, and found to have a very similar meaning, is found in 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23. Paul writes, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. If Jesus Christ ever did anything, the one thing that he did better than anyone else is that he came to be a servant. I I don't have time to establish that, but the motif, the subject of Christ as a servant, is very well documented throughout ministry. He said, I didn't come to be king, I came to be servant. To serve you so that you would come to know God. To serve you so that you would have a means of relationship with God. And that was his idea of being a servant. It wasn't just to wash feet, even though it included that. It was the idea of preparing the individual to have the opportunity to have a walk with God. And that's our job. Our function today is to be a servant. And Paul, his favorite word and description of himself is, I'm a bond slave of Christ, meaning that his will was swallowed up in the will of Christ. He wanted to do what God wanted him to do. And so based on that, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, he said, I made myself servant unto all. Now, let's be very clear, and this is truth in Christ too and in Paul. At no point in time did Jesus or Paul compromise what was right to be a servant. So I don't become what men are. I don't try to fit in. I I don't go down to the inner city and get a hoodie and pants that I pull down to my knees and try to be be someone I'm not. Look at that funny-looking honky with low pants in one hand. Nobody would buy it. It's not, that's not the idea. Of be, of, I'm not trying to become 
what somebody else is. I, I ministered in years for, for jail. I didn't, in jails for eight years, that was my first ministry. I didn't become what men were or women were that were in jail. I came to men and women in jail. And I was cognizant of where they were, and I cared about what they were experiencing, and I listened to what they were, and I saddled up alongside them, as it were, so that I could find a way and a means to minister to them. And that was being a servant to men and women in jail. You and I, and like Paul and Christ, need to become servants. But at no time do servants ever compromise what is right. You don't have to compromise truth and you don't have to compromise moral ethic to reach people. We don't uh, go into bars and drink with people to reach people. Just, and I have a real problem probably with beach ministry, but we'll leave that alone. Just, just saying. Uh, I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. I love the beach, by the way. But And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. Now, understand this. That means that when Paul came into a Jewish home as an apostle of Christ, he understood what was there. He understood what they believed. He understood their actions. And he didn't try to talk them out of what they believed as he walked into the house. He was going to introduce them to Christ, and then Christ himself would do the job of transferring their... Sometimes if you demand people are like you before they like you, it doesn't work. So you have to... You have to Paul said, I became a servant to the Jew and, and to all the people around the world of his day that understood the Mosaic law but weren't Jewish. Guess what? He understood where they were coming from. Paul is oftentimes in Acts accused of doing the wrong thing when James introduces to him the idea that we hear that you're preaching against the law all across the body of Christ, and we in Jerusalem want to know what it is that you're saying. But to prove that you respect the law, we need you to, and what he did was pay for the cost for men that had a vow. Well, vows were a part of Jewish tradition more than they were the law, but Paul said, aha, if I... And he wasn't compromising his faith in doing so if I agree to pay the cost for their sacrifices, which we're experiencing. Then guess what I'm going to get? I'm going to get the pulpit to the church in Jerusalem, and I'm going to get to explain why I believe what I believe. And, and people even today, scholars, oh, he should have never done that. Yes, he should have. He didn't compromise a thing. In doing that, he looked at the opportunity. Now, the opportunity didn't come because he was arrested in the temple before it could happen. But he was willing. Okay, well, I'm not willing to go into that country church with that stand-up bass and that mandolin. I'm not willing to go into that church with black lights and smoke and cut jeans. I'm, I'm not willing to... Oh... Well, I didn't cut my jeans to go in there. I 
didn't even wear jeans. I just was me. And I took the opportunity to minister the Word of God and let God sort out the rest. So when we... But watch this. He said, to them that are without law. So he, the three different groups of people Paul talks about here, to the Jew, to those that are under the Mosaic law that aren't Jews but influenced, like Cornelius was in Acts 10. And to them that are without law. Now this is the Gentile world he's talking about, totally without the Mosaic law. <laughs> These rascals, they do everything and anything. And they worship idols, and they uh, are immoral. Corinth was the city of Corinth. Wow. It means to Corinthianize, mean to be immoral. It was a name given to the city because it was so degraded. And Paul said, well, I'll go to Corinth. I'll go to those that are without the law. Now watch what he says. To them that are without law is without law, but he qualifies it. And he says, but not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. Now, he's not under the law of Moses, but he's under the law to Christ. The law, and the translation here is where scholars look at it closely. It's literally, but under the law to Christ, or in law to Christ in the Greek, it comes across here, you see, ha namas to Christo in the Galatians 6 and 2, but here it's en namos Christo in law to Christ. He's in lawed to Christ. He's married to Christ. So he's not without moral ethic when he goes to the Gentiles. Are you getting it? He's not without moral ethic when he goes to the Jew. He just leaves his ham sandwich at home. Right? He, he's not without ethic. He's not without moral ethic. But his moral ethic is drawn from his relationship to Jesus. He's in-lawed to Christ. We said it last night. He's literally married to Christ. To Christ, he is responsible. So to think that Paul is saying, I have no moral ethic, is wrong because he is willing to go to the Jew, but not willing to compromise the moral ethic that Christ has given him. He'll go to those that are under the law, but he's not going to reject the moral ethic that Christ has given him. He's going to the Gentile world who doesn't have law, and even though I'm not under the Mosaic law, I am under the moral obligation of being in law to Christ. Do you see it? So the law of Christ is more than just the law of love. It's the whole moral ethic. That which is right in Christ's mind. Paul said, I live under the whole moral ethic of what Christ says is right. Are, are you, see, woo, I just know the message of the cross, the message of the cross. Woo, 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 woo. 
Good. Then you know the right object of faith, the law of faith, and you know how to live for God. The Holy Spirit will take what you have and take out of you victory over sinful condition and place into you the very potential of God's love, but not just God's love. That's just one aspect of the whole moral ethnicity that is in Christ. And you've been married to Christ. You're there to please Him. Paul says, I'm not under the law of Moses, but I am under a law. The law of Christ. Whoo! Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Because there's a moral ethnicity that we're responsible to. Now, don't get mad at me, but word-for-word translations translate this, the new NASB, under the law of Christ. NRSV says Paul is under Christ's law. ESV says under the law of Christ. NIV says under Christ's law. Under translations that are word-for-word translations, you get the clear picture of what Paul is saying. But throw that all out and go to the Greek. In namos Christu means in law to Christ. So as I say here, I'm, uh, some of you, you'll, you'll rip your hair out and don't do that. You're missing it already. But uh, tear in your clothes... I don't have time to teach on translations this morning, but English translations, word for word, the best way to study the Bible is to translate the text yourself from the Greek or from the Hebrew. And, and, and that way you can come up with what is in the manuscript if you use the right sources. But the sources are so many, and most of us don't have that capability. I do not. I've studied enough Greek and Hebrew to be dangerous. <laughs> which means I can make it mean anything I want to, which is what most preachers do. So good word-for-word -word translations help the guy that doesn't know and the gal that doesn't know Hebrew or Greek to look at the text and see where there are differences. Now, the source, and I'm just going to say this quick and go on because I don't want to lose you, but this is a whole subject in itself, could take up three or four hours in itself, maybe a semester. In fact, it has been a semester class for us. But when you come, most people, okay, Here, let's go to, most people back in the day, my day, the argument was over Ford or Chevy. And, you know, the one you picked, Ford or Chevy, was usually the one your dad drove and the one your grandpa drove because you were used to the one your dad drove. Well, I, I buy Chevrolet. I buy Chevy. Chevy's the only truck. I don't get a Ford a fixer repair daily. 
vehicle. I'm buying a Chevy. And you have no reason to, you have no knowledge of why Chevy was better than Ford. It didn't matter because you were just better with Chevy because your dad was better with Chevy. So it's what you were used to that you defended, even that you could never sit down and tear apart a Ford and Chevy, most of us, and say which was better. You were just said, this is better because I've always used it. Hmm. Well, in translations, there's two things before you enter into the conversation of translations. There's two things that you have to learn about the translation you want to use, and that includes the King James. All translations use a source, and the source is uh, what we call manuscripts. Manuscripts were written from the original, which were autographs. Autographs is what Paul wrote or any of the writers of the Bible. We have no autographs left. All we have is the next level, manuscripts. So the King James people wrote from manuscripts that were 600 years old. But in the last 100 years, discoveries have found manuscripts that were only 300 years old. And the idea is, and this is called textual criticism, the idea is that the closer to the autograph, the less chance of error that there is. So sometimes in word-for-word -word translations, you don't, it's not the devil trying to rewrite the Bible, it's a different manuscript source. Good people found manuscripts that were younger, and according to their argument, the younger the manuscript, the closer to the autograph. But that's not always necessarily true. You know what? I'm not qualified to read the Hebrew and the Greek, and I'm not qualified to study the manuscripts because even if I even if they if, even if I had access to them, I couldn't read them. I don't know what's under the hood. But you know what I can do? I can read English. And I do have the Holy Spirit living within me. So when there are differences in word-for-word -word translations, the first question I ask is, is it because they're operating from different sources? It's not because the devil's trying to get this to be left out. It's because in one source the word is there, and in another source it's not. It's what they're translating. They're simply translating what is coming. Second issue that you have to understand about translations is the reason the publishers published. For instance, the NIV was written with the publisher's idea not to use any language higher than a seventh grade reader. Now, that introduces problems right away because Greek is the most complex language that has ever existed, and already our English language doesn't enough, have enough words to properly translate Greek. And so when the publisher comes along and wants to write a book that says, um, I'm going to cut out half the English words, anything that a, anybody above a seventh grade reading level couldn't get, then they have less words to choose from in their translation doesn't make them of the devil. That was their choice. And it's plainly written in the front of their translation. 
So you can check it out. Why did they do what they did? The New American Standard is oftentimes referred to as the most literal word-for-word -word translation that exists. But they used a different manuscript source than the King James Version because they thought that the newer or the older manuscripts were better. When you start talking to me about that, then we're talking translation issues. Otherwise, we're just talking Ford and Chevy. All right. I made you all mad. Let's go on. <laughs> so when you compare, I have always, for me, I teach and preach from the King James Version because that's what I know. That's what I grew up with. But I study from good word-for-word -word translations. I know where they came from. I know why the differences are there. And at times, they show me insight to what I couldn't see otherwise. So I use a cross-section of translations because I'm not an expert in Greek and I'm not an expert in Hebrew, but it opens up the door for me to take a look at. And if I don't like what other translations say, I discard them. If the Ford doesn't go, I drive the Chevy. And here I am in a Honda. Okay, so. Thank you for joining us today. If you are enjoying the sermon you are hearing, we need your help. We do not sell any advertising on this station. You will not hear any third-party ads. This radio ministry operates by donations only. We are 100% listener-supported. So, we need your prayers and financial gifts to keep bringing Christ and Him crucified to the world. Let God use you to keep Power of the Cross Radio going around the globe. Go right now to www.cross.radio and click on how you can help. There you can donate a generous amount by secure means. All gifts are tax deductible. Thanks again for listening and may God bless you. Now, back to the message. The law of Christ commands that we love, but I am under obligation to Christ. Do you see it? The law of Christ says that I am in-lawed to Christ, and namos Christu, and again, that's the Greek, in-lawed to Christ. The law of Christ, Christ's law. So the law of faith and the law of the Spirit of life teaches me how to do, the how-to, through faith and grace, through the proper object of faith. But now I come to the what to do. My good friend Curtis Hutchinson said, Everyone told me what to do, but no one ever told me how to do the what to do. So the last 25 years, we've been telling you how to do. And now, under Christ's law, I'm adding the what to do. Because without adding the what to do, all you're doing is embracing theology on how to do. But I want you to know how to do the what to do. Right? 25 years. We've been preaching the how-to. Guess what we need to add? 
the what to. We've got the law of faith. We've got the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. But then we have to take a look at what you and I are responsible to become. What should we look like? Well, Galatians 6 and 2 talks about the law of Christ and connects it certainly to the law of love, and we can't deny that. But the what to do also includes the moral code as taught by Christ. How many of you have gone back and read the Sermon on the Mount and said, whoops, Okay, you need to go back and read the Sermon on the Mount and don't do what some people do and go, oh, that's for the future. No, that's for right now. Christ came to fulfill the law, not destroy it. So everything that He taught that was a moral ethic is Christ's law. It's written for you, as I said last night, in the New Testament. So the law gave us the form, don't kill. But Christ's law says you can't even hate. You can't dislike. You can't discourage. Do you know that the new covenant forbids you to hate people? Anybody. Christ's law. Mm-hmm. I don't want to just be a theologian that I know the message of the cross. Good. What is it there for? What is it supposed to produce in me? What have I, I look, I'm not under law. I'm not under the law of Moses, but I'm actually under a higher moral code than the law which was the form could ever produce because Jesus fulfilled the form and brought it to its highest potential. The law said don't kill. Jesus brings His law and says, if you're going to be married to me, you can't even hate. The law gave the form, don't commit adultery. Jesus said, if you even look with the wrong idea. Christ's law. Whatever He said in the realm of the New Testament that you read, that He said was proper action, that's the what to do. Now I'm preaching to us. And I say us because there's a lot of things I ain't that I got to become. But guess what? The message of the cross has taught me the proper object of faith, the law of faith, and given me freedom in the power of the Holy Spirit so that now when Christ's law is made clear to me, I look at it and I go, oh, help! Because I'm not only just releasing sin and having victory over sin, I'm now embracing the nature and the character of Christ. I'm not just quitting cussing, I'm talking Scripture. Okay, so here's some areas of study. Christ's Sermon on the Mount. Go back and read it. Oh, that's just for the millennial kingdom. No, it's not either. Jesus said the kingdom has come without observation. The kingdom is within you. It's right now. There's your what to do. Go back and read it and go, oh my. 
and oh me, all right? Any moral action that is described as proper by Christ is Christ's law. It's his character. And you're in law to Christ. You're married to Christ. Do you think he wants a partner that doesn't look like himself? Anybody feel like they need to work on their Christianity this morning? Uh-huh. Good. Because the what to do is what we focused on. Now we're going to add the the, or what we focused on is the how to do it. But look at this. Now, I have yet many things to say unto you, Jesus said while he was here, but you cannot bear them now. So everything that Jesus taught is Christ's law. But then he spoke to us again through his apostles. The apostles spoke by way of inspiration. All Scripture is inspired by God. So what they couldn't handle when Christ was there, He said through His apostles in the future. After the Holy Spirit was there and able to develop things in them for a period of time. Remember, the primitive church had no idea how to live for God until the Apostle Paul started his ministry some 14 years after the day of Pentecost. They didn't know how to do. They, don't even, they, didn't, they couldn't even describe what happened to them. They had it, but they, didn't, they couldn't describe it. You and I often, and we can go back to our Christian experience, a lot of things we had that we couldn't explain, but we were responding to them. And I haven't even mentioned this to you. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit becomes available to every born-again believer. He lives in you, and He writes the laws of God on your heart. Because guess what? They couldn't go back and study the new covenant in the first century. Because they didn't have, there was nothing written. The canon of scripture wasn't even established until the middle of the third century. So what did they go by? They went by what was in them. Because the law of the spirit, that's why when you go to lunch today and the, the lady drops the iced tea on your lap, and you say, God bless you, sister. <laughs> or something of that. It's because the Holy Spirit inside of you said, I wish you a Merry Christmas. I wish you a Merry <laughs> There's no law. Thou shalt not treat the waitress wrong. But yet on the inside of you, the minute you say the wrong thing, Christ's law is enacted by the living Holy Spirit that's in you. In Jeremiah 31, it's prophesied that the Holy Spirit would come and write His law. Not the Mosaic law. He doesn't say, don't eat, don't eat meat. That's, you know, uh, he said, don't eat ham. Thank goodness, I love ham, man. He says, act this way. 
1 John 2 and 20 says that you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. 1 John 2 and 27 says that you have an anointing and you need not that any man teach you. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be in classrooms like this where you're taught the Word of God. That would violate Ephesians 4, 11 and beyond. But it means that every single believer will know what is right and what is wrong through the Holy Spirit that lives in them. Uh, again, if I go back to the prophecies of it, Jeremiah, and I don't have time to do much of this, but I, I'll try to get this one. Jeremiah 31 is probably the most complete and talks about when God will put the new covenant in the lives of people. Look, uh, behold, the days come, says the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, down to verse 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. It's not going to be, verse 32, like the old covenant. In verse 33, I'm going to put my law in their inward parts, write it in the hearts, they will be my people, they shall be my God. And look at this, verse 34, and they shall teach no more, Every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. You're in Lord to Christ. He lives in you. And that's why His Spirit gives you that check when you do the wrong thing. That's Christ's law. That's Christ's law. The law of the new covenant relative to morality. And now you and I also have the Scriptures that were spoken of by Christ and the Scriptures that were spoken by the apostles. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. Our doctrine is given to us by the apostles. And there's, not a, there's never been an epistle that Paul wrote, almost none, that in the second half he did not start talking to us about the what to do. Romans 12 through 16 talks about what to do. So read Romans 12. Read all of it. There's some 29 separate instructions they're relative to moral ethic. Oh. So Christ's law is those things what Jesus said. Those things which the Holy Spirit bears witness to you. And the teachings of the apostles, the words of Christ. These, we're not under Mosaic law, but we're under law to Christ. We're not compromising when we go to people that are Jews or under the law or Gentiles that are without the law, but we always bear in mind that to be a servant, we are under law to Christ. We were under the law of Christ. Man, there's a lot of reading for us. <laughs> All right, see the red? Now let's go to the warning. In teaching this, I know what I've done, and that's I've quickened your flesh. Because if you love God and you hear what I say, here's what you're going to do. Oh, I, I'm going to go read that. I'm going to do that. I'll do that. I'll do that. You can't do that. 
You can't do that. But you must do that. Warning, 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 Will Robinson, warning. No, that's a, that, that'll date me, won't it? Huh? Uh, the, the flesh, understand this, will always gravitate immediately towards a new set of rules. When I started studying this last year, I found that that part of me, oh man, I'm going to go read the sermon. I'm, I'm going to go do, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that because I love God. I'm going to do that. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. And my flesh says, yeah, because I love God. Warning, warning, warning. When you recognize that you're responsible to wrap your life around the truths of Christ's law, the flesh will want to take over. Warning, warning, warning. The flesh will want to take over. That's why I can't teach this without first teaching the how to do. The what to do must always rest upon the firm foundation of how to do it. The law of faith, the right object of faith, followed by the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which removes and adds, is now the foundation for the truths that we see in regard to Christ's law. And when I see what Christ is asking me to become that I'm not, I don't say, I'll do it. I say, Lord, I can't. You can. Help. I can't. You can. Help. You see it? I can't, but yet I must. I am not, but yet I must be. I don't have the capacity in my own strength to be that, but yet Christ has offered me the law of faith and the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus so that I might through the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body and I through the Spirit might live and the Spirit helps my infirmities, my weaknesses, what I'm not. So now I connect the rules of Christ's ethic to my own self, but not by fleshly endeavor, not by willpower, not by what I'll do. And I, I warn you, when you start studying after the apostles and they tell you what to do, your flesh is going to jump to the top and say, let me, let me, let me. And you can't, you can't, you can't. So the law of Christ is the true moral ethic we're responsible to. It requires obedience regarding all the tenets and truths of the new covenant. So you're the voices that give you Christ's law or Christ himself, the Holy Spirit within you, and the scriptures of the new covenant. If you find it in the new covenant and it's a moral responsibility, it is yours. But you can't do it outside of the law of faith and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So your motivation is your love for Christ because you're joined to him. We are taught through the law of faith and the law of the spirit of life 
how to live this Christian life. We are taught by the law of Christ that it is our responsibility to love others and live a life of holiness. Now that we know how to do the what to do, we must attend to both the how to and the what to. This is the law of Christ. Amen? Father, we come before you this morning and I ask, Lord, that you would take these simple words, these sometimes difficult concepts and precepts and birth them into our hearts, birth them into our minds. Father, let the Holy Spirit, stage by stage, step by step, teach us what we need to know. Teach us how to embrace the law of Christ properly, not in flesh, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to mortify the deeds of the body that we might live, but only through the Spirit, O God. Only through the help that faith in Christ and Him crucified brings. We are joined to Christ. We are under Christ's law. And help each of us in that endeavor. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen and amen. This brings us to the end of this message, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. Be sure to come back often for more great sermons and commercial-free Christian music streamed 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. If you need someone to pray with you, we have a prayer wall at Power of the Cross Radio website. You can leave your request there and also help others pray for their needs. Remember, it's very crucial that we receive your financial gifts to keep this free radio station going. Please give a generous amount to support this work of God, and we know you will be abundantly blessed for it. Thank you again for joining us today, and may God bless you.